Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to the Fabulous Keto Podcast. This is episode 68. And today's episode, we have Renee Jones. Renee was recommended to us by one of our listeners, which was really great. So we reached out to her and she gladly accepted our invitation to come on. I was aware of Renee through Carrie Brown, who is a UK pastry chef living in the US. And I got to know Carrie, obviously, through a number of the keto groups, as well as being the third keto dude. Um, I think Carrie and Renee are friends, aren't they? That's right. Have you Had you met either of them before? I hadn't met Renee because, well, with Carrie being involved with Keto Fest, I hadn't actually, no, I didn't actually get to meet Renee because she was in the 2019 Keto Fest, which um, I I sat out, yeah, I didn't go, I was in the UK, busy working in the UK. But that's not to say that I was well and truly aware of Renee in social media groups and her story, which I really hope that listeners will, you know, be able to feel inspired by her journey. Yes, because she she had a very, you know, she was dieting all of her life and then things changed. She changed her mind and she changed her body. So listeners will, you know, will be inspired, hopefully, and be able to sort of hear the the journey and how it's been evolved and how now she's actually helping others, which is which is fabulous. So, Jackie, can you tell us a bit more about Renee? After 40 years on a diet, yo-yoing up and down the scale, Renee Jones had learned every diet and every cheat before finally stopping the comfort and stress eating to shed those last 30 pounds yet again in 2012. But this time she has maintained her goal weight. Now she helps others overcome their emotional eating to shed their weight and keep it off. Renee has a master's degree in marriage and family counselling and a clinical residency in pastoral care to guide her international coaching practice of traditional and contemporary models, as well as relaxation and horse-assisted methods. Her book, What's Really Eating You? Overcoming the Triggers of Comfort Eating, is an Amazon bestseller and her TEDx talk helps her reach people around the world. Use what works for your style. Thanks, Jackie. Welcome to the Fabulous Keto, Renee. It's fabulous to have you on today. Thanks for having me. 
We like to start our podcast with asking our guests, where in the world are you? I am in Texas, right between Dallas and Fort Worth. And obviously that's in the United States. Obviously, um, I'm sure most of most of our listeners know where, where Texas is. It's a pretty big state. <laughs> What's, what Do you have, because I don't know much about Texas, do you have, I know it's very hot in the summer, but do you have, and is it very cold in the winter? Um, not necessarily. I mean, it, it might be sort of 10 degrees uh, Celsius. Um, it does go down below that. In fact, this last winter, we had, you know, freezing and snow on the ground for almost a week. And we were crippled because we didn't know what to do about that, right? <laughs> but we'll, we'll have snow once in a while. But most of the time, it's sort of freezing up to about 10 degrees. Yeah. So pretty similar to the UK, really. Or yeah, but it's always colder. The southern part of the UK. Yeah, uh, we do always colder. <laughs> oh, I thought the the UK it, when when I was there, it was like below ten. It was certainly below ten. It was it was it got quite cold. Yeah, we don't really go much below zero though. No, seven. No, eight. um, yeah, and, and meanwhile, uh, over here in in Southeast Asia, you know, it's just a balmy twenty eight degrees and. 85% humidity. So um, yeah, it's all relative, really. But um, yeah, just another another hot and sweaty day in paradise here. So as I like to say. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's really good. Yeah, it's really good to be able to compare and contrast in terms of, you know, um, your experience and your story has been such a really rich, um, a rich journey. So why don't you take us to to where it started? Okay. So when I was about 10 years old, I looked around at all the other little girls and I was a redhead. So I was already different to everyone else. And I was also chunky. And all the other blonde and brunette girls were thin. And I thought, I don't want to be chunky. So I went to my mother and I said, right, I want to, to lose some of this weight. And she's like, you're awfully young. I said, yeah, but I'd like to, I'd like to do it. So we started out on a diet and we did pretty well for a couple of weeks and then we'd go off it and then we'd go back on it and we might lose down to somewhere in the vicinity of our goal, but it was just the perpetual diet yo-yo throughout the time I lived at home. So I went off to university, I um, did the same thing and I did that for 40 stinking years, but on the New Year's Day, I was looking down the calendar at my 50th birthday, and I thought, this has got to change, and it's got to change now. So I started out on a diet, and I did pretty well for a couple of weeks, and then I got off it. So I'd start again, and I'd get off it. And you know, by April of 2012, I was standing in my closet, and I couldn't find anything that would fit me. And I, I was mortified. I thought, you've been trying so hard, except for when you weren't. And now I needed a bigger size. And I, <laughs> I, was, I was just a mess over that. So I found myself a safety pin and I found a skirt that I could actually, you know, connect. And I put a blouse on over it so I could get through the day. But it was almost like penance throughout the day of I kept feeling that safety pin. I thought, you've got to make this a change here. So when I got home, 
I got on the internet and I was doing some research and I ran across some really good advice, which was only eat when you are hungry. And I thought if I could do that, I wouldn't have a problem. So I went back and I was looking at, at various plans and I ran across one that was like, okay, this makes sense to me. And she talked about emotional eating and I bought the plan and I worked through it. And then eventually I hired her as a coach to help me stay on track. So by October of 2012, I had lost my weight yet again. I just celebrated my ninth trimiversary and I've never put it back on. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yes. Congratulations. Nine Thank years. You. Yeah, yeah, nine years to, to maintain when, you know, you've been the perpetual yo-yo dieter is, is something really to be proud of. Yeah, I'm very pleased with myself. <laughs> and I just feel so much better. Yeah, that's the difference, isn't it? You mm-hmm. feel, I don't know about you, but we're a similar age, but um, I feel better now in my 50s than I did well, I go, I say to my 20s, but even in my teens, I wasn't terribly well in my teens. So, you know, even back that far. So would you say it was, it was all about the emotional eating that kept the weight, got the weight off and kept it off? Yeah, because I kept working with my coach and I kept digging up things that needed to go, beliefs, behaviors that just weren't serving me. So she helped me work through a lot of the emotional stuff. And as I like to say, when you face your stuff, you no longer have to stuff your face for comfort or stress relief. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. (laughs) So looking back, what would you tell 10-year-old Renee now? To stay on track. Learn how to stay on track because your body has a way. If you don't continue to stuff down your feelings and follow it with a food chaser, your body will process and will allow your, you to, to release the weight. But you do, do have to stay on track. You've got to find what works for your body. Stay on track and just make better choices. Yeah. What were some of the, the things that you had to address to, to get that weight off, if you don't mind sharing? No, I don't mind. I think that we have a global pandemic beyond covid And that is low self-esteem. Over and over with clients, we address self-esteem because everyone struggles with it generally. So um, we worked on building my self-esteem and allowing that to be okay. Because, you know, often culture for women in particular is, you know, don't don't put yourself forward. Um, I think in Australia, they call it the tall poppy syndrome, where you don't stand out above everyone else. You don't do, you know, toot your own horn, as they say. And we take that as, okay, there's some merit in that, but there's a lot of low self-esteem that comes about because of that. So that was the primary thing. And then learning to accept and cherish the gifts I have. Because at the time, I wasn't working as a coach. I was sort of working as a counselor some, but I wasn't wasn't confident in that. So we worked on my confidence in my um, profession. 
And then, you know, not going to food for comfort. Mm. There are many other things that can bring us comfort or stress relief. It's not always food. Food is just easy. It's available. It's legal. Yeah. It's easily accessible. Everyone, Tw- you know, 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day. Yeah. And it's a <laughs> it's the culture approved sin. Yeah. You know, it's I okay. Like to- oh, I like that. Culture approved <laughs> sin. Because <laughs> we say, you know, we talk about that often, but yeah, nobody's ever put it in those words. So. <laughs> but isn't that glut- gluttony? Well, yeah, you know, when you said it's it's culture approved sin, that that's the being gluttonous is obviously yeah. it's okay because we we're in a, a food system where food abundance is mm-hmm. is okay, and it's obviously for me. I had to unlearn about my language of love and that was giving and it was cooking and here have my food and you know this is this is the way that I that I show love you yeah. know I put a lot of time so that's a language of love I put time and effort and gifts so here is here is food but I've just I can still do that I just change what I'm what I'm cooking so um, yeah yeah, yeah. So but now. absolutely it's gluttony of course it mm. is you know, when we eat more than we our bodies need, okay, there there are feasting days, but feasting days mm-hmm. are approved days of gluttony. And it's okay once in a while, but when we make it our everyday practice, every day, yeah, that's where mm-hmm. we get in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you also think that there's an issue with? the way that we're taught to manage emotions. I mean, I know that you've sort of said about the self-soothing through food, but is there also a way that, you know, whether it's genders, you know, the gender roles where obviously as a woman you have to know your place, um, I can't go above my station, ambition, you know, impacted on obviously your your self-esteem and confidence. Is there something else involved in that? Well, Louise, think about this. Do you have children? Boys. Three. Okay. Or young men. Sorry, young men. Young men. So when they were babies and they cried, what did you do? Um, well, for the for between week three and week 13 when he had colic, um, uh, yeah, that oh. was obviously um, a lot of a lot of rocking and, and you know wrapping and swan, you know, swap, you know, swap. Yeah. Swandling. Yeah. yeah. So mm. one of the things we often do is put something in their mouth, mm. whether it's the mm. bottle or a breast or a pacifier, mm. a dummy, right? That's what we do. In fact, when I was losing my weight, I actually taped a dummy to my refrigerator at just my height to remind me that I was looking for soothing when I was going for food. So we learn from birth to soothe ourselves, that oral soothing works for us. And then children grow up and they, they then go to their thumb. When you take the dummy away, they go to their thumb or candy or biting their nails. And as a, you know, you get older, then you go more for the candy or a donut or pizza. We learn early that that is an available way to soothe ourselves. And it's always with us. Yeah. And just going back to the, the, the pacifier and the, um, and the thumb. So I had twins. I, I sucked my thumb until I was 15 years old. And so when I had uh, my boys, I didn't want them to suck their thumb. So um, I gave them pacifier, a dummy in the UK. 
and um, Ben spat it out and stuck his thumb in his mouth. This is, I don't know how old they are, weeks old. And Alex was fine with the dummy, but I kept taking his thumb out of his mouth and putting the pacifier back, and he would just spit it out and put his thumb back. Yeah. In the end, I just gave up, and he always sucked his thumb, and mm-hmm. Alex always had a pacifier. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we do. We just do. We just, that's, that's how we soothe ourselves, but it's not the only way to soothe. Mm. And that's the important point is it's we not the only. Learn. Yeah. We need to get ourselves a list of different ways to soothe. I mean, they're, what, what they're the commons. Walking my dog helped a lot. Um, now I always say I walk the dog for her so that, you know, she, she's a much better puppy when she's had a good walk in the morning, but I also do some gardening. Or the, my favorite thing, because, you know, you can't always go somewhere, is just to sit back and breathe for a minute and think, this will pass, whatever it is, how can I help myself in this moment to do something different? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at what point in your journey did you come across keto and how did you come across it? Um, well, two years after I had lost my weight, I was struggling because I, I lost my weight on a low-fat, low-calorie diet, just like I'd always done. And I was doing some research because I was working out three days a week. I was only getting twelve to 1,300 calories. And I was tired, hungry, and cranky all the time. So bless my poor dear husband. I thought, I've got to figure this out. And I would just did some more research, and I ran across a metabolic test that I now give to my clients And it asks really awkward questions, like how white is the white of your eye? I'm not sure how that works, but, you know, I I use this thing. And it said, you need more fat in your diet. And I thought, fat? Are you kidding me? I've spent 40 years avoiding that. So I thought, okay, it's only a week. If I gain weight on this diet that has butter and cheese sauce and bacon, I will just fix it later. And I did what they said. It was basically a low carb diet and I followed it exactly. And I wasn't tired. I wasn't hungry and I was suddenly not quite so cranky. And I lost two pounds when I was already at my goal weight at 52. Mm. And I thought, okay, there's something to this. And, you know, keto was around, but it wasn't a big thing yet. And I just kept doing that. And then I heard keto and I thought, wow, that's extreme. And then I heard more about it and I thought, oh, this is what my grandmother told me back in the seventies to just watch your sugars and starches and you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. So in April of 2015, I thought, okay, I'm going to try this thing. And I loved it. And I felt so much better. And two months later, I thought, you know, I haven't been depressed and I have a brighter outlook. This is weird. I don't understand it, but I've basically stayed keto since then. Okay. I'll have a, an occasional time when I have a few more carbs here and there, but I always come back to keto because it makes me feel so good. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. You lost the initial two pounds. How much did you further on lose overall from when you, from your goal weight to your lowest weight? Uh, my absolute lowest weight, I was about 
eight stone two or 114 pounds. My goal weight was 119 initially. Um, so I dropped 117, which is eight stone five. I'm sorry, I can't do kilos. <laughs> I can't figure that one out. Um, but now I bounce between 115 and 118 all the time. So eight stone three and eight stone six. Is that right? Thereabouts. Yeah. That's good. Stay under eight and a half stone all the time. Sounds (laughs) excellent to me. (laughs) Well, I'm only five foot three, so that helps or that hurts. I'm not sure which. Yeah, me too, but I just can't shift the weight. But there we go. Mm. One one day, maybe. One day. Maybe we should talk. (laughs) Maybe. Here's the little pocket rocket, you know, and here she is, you know, she's just got this, you know, vitality and this you know, this gift, and now you're really paying it forward. Mm. Uh, tell us a bit more, you know, how you've, how you've been able to really find your voice mm. confidently to project. Well, it certainly took some time. And, you know, I started, I shifted my, what was a, a small counseling practice to coaching and focused on emotional eating for others. And my, it grew a little bit here and there. And the more I talked to people, the more I realized I understood how to help them. I understood how to help them overcome that emotional eating piece. And, you know, some days I, I'm, I'm talking to them and they are like, yeah, but that, 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 that. So we, we talk about whatever that is. And one of my favorite questions that helps me as well as them is, is that who you want to be? Because when I when I recognize that for myself, it's like, I don't want to be this person who's constantly stuck in this low self-esteem. That doesn't help me. It doesn't help anybody else. And if I will confidently speak my truth, then it helps them heal their heart as well. And mm-hmm. that's got to be a good thing. So yes, I, I we talk about weight loss but my goal is always to help them heal their heart so they can do it on their own. Yeah. And that's, we mentioned this offline with Rob Sivers about the, it's the physiological aspect of it, but also the psychological aspect. And you can't almost, you can't do one without the other. Yeah. Because again, when you face your stuff, you no longer need to stuff your face for comfort or stress relief. Yeah. Have you found a theme, um, obviously, across your clients? Are there sort of major life themes that many of them present? Is there mm-hmm. a common thread that that people present with? Um, they don't know it, but it's almost always about self-esteem. They may not recognize that. Um, there's, there's also a, a pretty significant thread of people who've been... Um, sexually abused or compromised, threatened in some way. And one of the things that we tend to do when that happens to us is we put on weight to make ourselves less attractive, right? That's It's safety. And there, there's often a very difficult uh, point at which they find it harder and harder to go past because they're like, but if I get thin again, this may happen to me. Mm. But we talk about, okay, so you've learned some new things. You've learned some new um, skills. 
at rebuffing that because that happened when you were four, six, 12, 18, and you know how to say no thank you. You know, unless it's, it's violent, you are more capable now to stand in your power and, and make a different uh, an outcome there. So that, that's a hard one. And it, it's something that's so up, sub, subconscious that they often don't know that that's what's happening. Mm. Or they're getting back at somebody. Like, you know, my mother or my father told me I had to do it this way. Well, this is one area where I can make my own choices. You know, a lot of people who are anorexic, um, that's the one thing they feel they can control. So they don't eat as a way of control. But the, the opposite is also true. I can put whatever I want in my mouth. I get to control that. Hmm. So we work on, okay, is this the outcome you want? Yeah. It's certainly interesting where, where you're sort of you're saying about sexual abuse and threat and compromise. It, does that also sort of mean it's not just, um, I, I can see how that sort of power, coercion, intimate partner violence, domestic violence, that sort of relationship. But is there other threats and compromises to personal safety, well-being, not necessarily of a sexual nature that, that, can be encompassed in that where um, um, our good friend Daisy Breckenhall, kiddo woman, she talks about hiding behind that big wall of fat, that mm. that's how that sort of manifestation happens where we hide behind and we don't wish to make ourselves vulnerable by being thin and attractive because it gives to when we, um, when we lose the weight behind the big wall of fat. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, and it doesn't have to be sexual abuse. It can be emotional abuse. Right. Okay. It can be just um, personal abuse, as in you're abusing yourself mm. and you don't know how to be who you are because whatever, however you grew up or whatever experiences you had basically told you, you no, don't be you, be me or be this, be that rather than being mm. yourself. And the only, um, weapon we think we have against that is that wall of fat because that tends to push people away yeah a lot of that resonates um yeah with my lived experience and i think you know the the emotional issues that was you know being in an unhappy marriage and there was obviously a lot of hurt from you know rejection or perceived <laughs> rejection and that sort of stuff and hiding certainly for me was the self-soothing self-soothing through food and behind my big wall of fat because yeah it's certainly I was already rejected so what does it matter so mm. yeah that's it's a very powerful insight that I gained through um yeah through therapy and mm -hmm. it really sounds like your coach really was instrumental in in helping you gain that insight for yourself oh indeed she's brilliant she, she was absolutely brilliant because she could she could look at, you know, the stories that I told and unwind them. And that was, that was fantastic because she made me look at things differently. And anytime we, we get an opportunity to look at it differently, we have an opportunity to grow. And quite honestly, I still keep her on speed dial 
because she helps me to um, work out things that come up along the way. And I think, you know, it's so important to have someone who can tell you the truth and who can challenge you. And that usually can't be a partner. I mean, they can try it, but you don't want to damage the marriage relationship. But having someone you can count on um, to help you grow and improve and let go of the things that um, are not serving you anymore, it's, it's essential. What I've come to understand in certainly listening to a recent book is the stories that we tell and we have that little voice and that narrative and that really is true where you're sort of saying about um you know the stories that are told and unwind them and having that person independent of your mm-hmm. like your your relationships to be able to do that truth and challenge you what was one of the biggest challenges for you letting go of some of the stories that i refuse to let go of you know it's at, we collect all of this baggage and the more we nurse that baggage, the more we tell those stories, the more they stay in our lives. And what's important is to unpack the stuff that we've carried with us for decades. Because if you don't unpack that, then you can't pack for the journey that you want to be on. Hmm. And we all get to pack our own bags now, but we have to choose it, right? You get to pack your own bag. But if you choose to leave all that extra stuff in there, like I did with my stories, I had to stop telling stories, certain stories. It's like, okay, that's in the past. It doesn't, it, it should, would not affect me anymore if I didn't go back to it over and over again. Yeah. Remembering those things wasn't serving me. And quite and often really- that. They're stories that you haven't created yourself. They've been given to you or you've made them up from a place of when you're young, not knowing any different. Yes. I mean, I I said earlier, I was a redhead. I'm still a redhead in my soul. It now just needs a little help to stay there. But (laughs) when I was growing up, I remember hearing people say, I'd rather be dead than red on the head. It was just not, it was just not a thing. And I had to let go of that. I was 17 before I liked my hair because it was so different. It made me different. Well, letting go of that story, different isn't always bad. It's just different. It's just different. Yeah. And now everybody wants red hair. It's like, you didn't know what it's like to grow up with it. (laughs) I'm like you. My my red hair needs a little bit of help, Mm -hmm. um, you know, these days. But it's really interesting and what really you know is is resonating because I did the a leadership um, a leadership course last week and this is exactly what what we were being told in in this workshop was obviously the stories what are the purpose of the stories that tell us and there was a couple of things about even you know this the way that we structure our stories and the purpose that they serve and one of which is don't put just you know stop apologizing you, you know be direct it's okay to be direct it's interesting because the lady that was running the the workshop was a south african you can't find an, a more direct you know people than you know this this south african lady so 
it was it was refreshing. I mean, it's stuff that you know, right? Like you, you know these sorts of things, but it mm. was good to hear it. And I think you need to be open at the time to be able to hear that. Mm. One of the things that I keep saying to myself, and I make a bit of a joke, and Jackie's heard me say this about being a B-grade student from Power Hills High School, and, and people in Adelaide know Adelaide, South Australia would know that that's, this is just a Western suburbs. It's just very, you know, very lower middle class. And what that story was telling me was I was moving beyond my station. You know, how dare I move out of public school education? How dare I go to university? How dare I aspire, ambition and, and achieve? Mm. Who would have thought the B-grade student from Power Hills High School would ever get a PhD? Like, who would have thought that? You know, who, who was I kidding? Who was I kidding? And yet you did. It's crazy, it's crazy isn't it? Like, it is. We take them on, don't we? Mm. And we l- but, allow it to limit us. And these are the self-limiting beliefs. And it things mm. that, that sort of keep, but I keep saying it to myself, you know, I make it, I'm trying to make a joke of it now. And it's like, well, no, that's actually going to stop. I'm not going to be saying that, you know, right. here in, line in the sand. It, it's no longer a joke. It's actually, yeah, it's not serving me. Yeah, yeah. And we all have stories like that that we can say, telling the story doesn't help me anymore. So I need mm. to stop. I mean, it may get some sympathy or something. It might be funny, but even mm. I have been a sleepwalker in my life since I was about 14. And it gets really bad at times, but I found, you know, it's funny now to talk about it, but it doesn't help me to talk about it. Mm. You know, I only bring it out if I have to, like um, if I'm going to a conference or something and someone says, would you like to share a room? I said, oh no, I walk in my sleep. People tends to freak people out. You don't want that. (laughs) So I can now talk about it in a funny way but I try not to remind myself of it too often because that tends to set it off. Mm. Yeah. That speaks to shame. So what are you ashamed of? <laughs> you should see some of the things that I do when I'm asleep. <laughs> okay. note, just note to self, do not share a room with Renee. Okay. Do not share a room with Renee because, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. That's that, seriously, that, that's about shame. And I think, you know, we, as you said, you packed shame and guilt. So yes. that was obviously in there. Mm. And, you know, that's that's the thing that we do. And you know, we might neatly, and you said, I'm not going to open up that box because that's a little bit embarrassing, you know, mm. the shame and the guilt. Mm. But, you know, I don't need to talk about that. And mm. I think so much we compartmentalise our life so much, like, that's that box. That's that chapter. That was my first marriage. That was that mm. really difficult marriage. You know, sort of, yeah, mm. awkward moments there. Mm. And so much of our our own narrative and story goes. Well, I'll box that up, and I'll, I'll never talk about. You know, that's that was my thirties, being a morbidly obese woman because mm. of the shame. Mm. I let myself go. I should have known better. Mm. I'm a health professional. Mm. What was I thinking? Mm. Well, and and not looking after yourself mm-hmm. in the way that that best helps you. You know, I, I think about the many times that I would try various diets, and they might be crazy ones, but I thought it was helpful, and it wasn't mm-hmm. 
because I wasn't giving my body the nutrients. I wonder how intelligent I would be if I had given my body the stuff it needed from 10 years old. Yeah. Right? Because it affects your brain chemistry. And, you know, even in my 20s and 30s, you know, we, um, we found out in our 30s, I call it the summer of the margaritas because we found out we would not be able to have children. I just thought, yeah, we're just going to drink now. We're just going to drink, right? And I gained like 10 pounds in a couple of weeks because they have a lot of sugar in them. Mm. So that was not looking after my body in the way that it needed to be looked after. So if you, if you find those things that add the stress, that drive you to food for that comfort or stress relief or whatever it is you need, then you can unwind them. But it's about finding the things that are doing it first and then saying, okay, how does this help me? Yeah, I see that. We've all got our different stories in, in relation to food and in relation to other aspects. Indeed. And we Indeed. need to just stop and, and listen to what we're, what we're telling ourselves. Because we always know what it is. It's just whether or not we want to admit it and look at it. Because you're right, Louise, there's that box you want to keep everything in, right? Don't mess with this. It'll just set it off or I'll have to deal with it then. And it's it can be really upsetting. And it it is upsetting. But the, I think, you, yeah, you, you hit the, the nail on the head with the trauma. You know, mm. you, you know, when you unbox that sort of stuff and you have to take the opportunity to be vulnerable, to, mm. to look at that and you, you, you see it. And you have to deal with that, the pain from the 10-year-old you know, child again or the four-year-old child. Mm-hmm. Because that, um, that shame, which is a useless, I have to say that is a useless uh, emotion because it does nothing but make us worse. Guilt, okay, sure. Deal with your guilt. If you've done something wrong, do what you can to apologize, fix it, repair. But shame, it does nothing but make us feel worse. Right. So we'll, I'll talk to clients about shame and like, okay, did you kill somebody? Did you abuse a child? Did you steal a lot? I mean, what have you done that is so awful that you deserve all this shame you're heaping upon your head? And they're like, well, I didn't do any of that. I said, where does the shame come from then? Why are you holding on to it? Because you don't deserve that. So you um, did a TED talk. How was that? (laughs) That was scary. You know, a year before my husband had said, you know, you might want to think about being a speaker. I was like, love, I'm never going to be a speaker. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, as it happened a year later, I was standing on the stage, my legs were shaking and it was, it was kind of mean of the coordinator because he put me right before lunch, but it was a, it was a fantastic experience. That was one of those, I came off the stage and I thought, wow, if I can do that, what else can I do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was one of those affirming experiences that gave me a different view of things. It's been really helpful. Yeah. So I guess being on before lunch is probably better than being on after lunch. <laughs> it could be. They don't have to feel the guilt of what they just ate, right? <laughs> <laughs> but also there everyone's been loading up on carbs and they're just falling asleep (laughs) (laughs) we forget about that don't we yeah we do get that (laughs) post lunch 
dip that we used to get and we don't anymore. I'm so grateful for that. It's so wonderful to be able to work. And and not that four o'clock thing where it's like, I've got to have a snack. Actually, I don't anymore. It's wonderful to feel satisfied between meals. It's great. I haven't got there yet. You haven't got there yet? No. I've been thinking about this a lot, particularly since we interviewed um, Robert Sivers, because he says snacking is always an emotional event. And there's something about after my lunch, sometimes it's soon after, but sometimes it's four o'clock in the afternoon, is having something sweet, not always sweet, but having something, but quite often it's something sweet. Now that could be a mouthful of my chocolate pudding. It could be um, at the moment I've got some nut clusters that I've made it might just be one of those, but there's something about I want it at four o'clock. And is that habit? It is partly habit. It definitely is partly habit. But there's mm. also a a wanting. So yesterday mm. I, I did want one, but mm. I didn't have it. I mm. thought I was out and about and I had a call and the time it was finished, it was five o'clock. It's mm. like, ah, oh, it's too late now. I'm not gonna have it. Mm. But the want was still there. So what do you really want? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Don't put me on the spot. (laughs) Well, that that may be something to consider is in that moment, just kind of drop into yourself and think, what is it that I really want right now? What kind of soothing do I need? What kind of need do I have that's not being met? And just let yourself find that. Hmm. Because there's always a reason for those things. You know, um, when I lived in Wales, I was not aware that you did not have peanut butter. And I was, it was like, oh my word, I've got to do two years without peanut butter. What am I going to do? Because it was a, it was a food that I was connected to. And when um, later in life, when I was, I was trying to break foods that would drive me to them, you know, they called my name from the refrigerator. After my mother died, I all but crawled into my peanut butter jar. And then uh, a few years later, my grandmother died and we were tight. Let me tell you, my nan and I were connected. And I thought, right, you're going to do this again unless you make a different choice. And what I finally realized was it was so connected to her And she wasn't in the jar. But that was a tangible connection to the love and the encouragement that she had given me for so many years. She's the only person that I have ever known where I never, ever wondered whether or not she loved me. Mm -hmm. And she she was my cheerleader, right? So once I recognized that, then I could back up from the peanut butter and say, okay, this is not how, how else can I get that feeling? So there's always a connection to the foods that draw us. I drink tea now, like, you know, a, a walking teapot because of the time that I spent living and working in Wales, it's a connection to those people that I love and still visit to this day. So that's, that's okay. Cause you know, there's not a lot of, there aren't a lot of calories in that, but the peanut mm. butter that had to go. 
for yeah. a period of time. I didn't buy it for a period of time. I can have it now and it's not quite so connected. But you've got to find what's what's specific about that time of day for you. Yeah. I know it's a transition time for me. It's like end of the work day. I'm going to go and see my mum now. Um, it's tea time. Kids mm-hmm. used to come home from school. We'd mm-hmm. have tea and biscuits. Uh-huh. That's we used to do that. Um and I don't te- you know, I don't have biscuits anymore at tea time. Um so yeah, I have to I really have to think about that. I have been yeah. thinking about it for a few weeks since we interviewed um Rob. So And you yeah. may want to keep that because that may be a good tender memory, a moment for you during the day. Yeah. And I know what I'm eating is low carb you know there's nothing in it my nut clusters I make myself it's so yeah maybe maybe it's okay to keep it yeah but you have to decide that yeah so you don't beat up on yourself for doing it yes speaking <laughs> about the peanut butter because since obviously living um here in Bangkok a lot of the western foods are yeah, at the Western supermarket, are imported. So we do have Skippy and Jiffy and, you know, like lots of US brands. You know, there's some Australian brands and that sort of stuff. So I've actually taken to making my own peanut butter mm. one. I know that peanuts are plentiful here in mm. um, in Thailand, so I can actually get raw peanuts and I can roast it myself in good oils. Um, I can actually sort of then control how much I make with mm-hmm. no sugar as well Mm -hmm. so it's not obviously Mm -hmm. the overtly sweet stuff and i can make it crunchy as well so like yes (laughs) that's my favorite but when it comes to yeah certainly being here and you know sometimes i've had enough of chili or curry that sort of stuff and i actually want like a vegemite sandwich um that's Stuff that's connected to obviously being Australian. Mm-hmm. So there's things that I've had to take. I've had to really pare it back to finding out what's important and I've had to make it from scratch. So I've made um, like yogurt from scratch. I've made cream cheese from scratch. So when I make things, it actually has connection and meaning, you know, because the effort to do that. Not to say that, I mean, I can get, I can get um, those ingredients, but it's expensive. And, you know, there's nothing better than a lockdown project than, you know, making fresh cheese from scratch and doing different cheeses and things. But I've got a real sense of um, where food comes from, the skill that it takes to make good food and Mm -hmm. tasty food. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, Food here is very cheap. You know, and it, there's a culture of eating out as well, but a lot of the foods are cooked in the oils, seed oils. It's laden with sugar, and I don't have control. <laughs> and hello, Rob has picked me as that authoritarian person who likes to be in control. And he said that, <gasps> really? that was my issue. Yeah, he's, mm. he said that was my issue oh, mm. amongst many. So amongst many <laughs> the one that he picked one out. Of the, he picked out <laughs> so what are you doing like about to that? be in control? What do well, you do about I've got, that? I, I've got to be more like Jackie and you know, you know, cut my sails to the wind. And it's just like, well, no, hang on. I, I 
I've got that color code on my chart. I don't know when. <laughs> when do I cut it? <laughs> I haven't time boxed that right now. So. I have to be more like you. So you said that when you first lost the weight, you were down to 1,200, 1,300 calories. When you moved to keto, and even now, would you, yeah, and probably you don't calorie count because why would you? Um, but are you, would you say you tend to eat more calories now or, and maybe give us an example yeah. of what a typical day looks like for you? Sure. Um, I don't count anymore unless I've got a little creep. I have this alarm that goes off in my head when I've gained four pounds and they've been there for a couple of days. It's like, okay, we've got some creep somewhere. And you just, this is, this is the secret to maintaining it is you don't let it go past that. Yeah. You recognize, okay, I'm a little off my plan, so let's bring it back. And it goes quickly. You know, the ones that come on quickly go off quickly as long as you don't let them, you know, take up space in the spare room, right? Yeah. So um, I probably eat about 16, 1,700 calories if I'm not paying too much attention. It, but now if I want to lose, I can drop down to 1,400 and it'll go. Yeah. So I get a couple of hundred extra calories on keto that I wouldn't get on a low-carb diet. Yeah. So what's what's a typical day look like for you? Well, some, of late, I've gotten into keto chow for breakfast, and I, I, I don't add a lot of fat to it, but I, I normally make it with ice. Oh, it's almost like eating ice cream for breakfast. It's just so fun. And then I might add an egg. Add a little more protein to it, um, but I'll have like lunchtime. I might have a couple of eggs and some bacon because it's just easy, right? You don't have mm -hmm. a whole lot of time. And then evening meal, I'll use a, a recipe from um, Carrie Brown. It's one of my favorite uh, people. Um, but basically, just meat and veg, maybe a sauce. You know, if it's if it's like a, a chicken breast. Then I'll add some butter to it, so it has, or a cream sauce to it, so it has good flavor and fat to it. Um, I may have steak. Love steak. Steak yeah. is wonderful. Um, but as long as I've got a little bit of veg and a little bit of meat, you know, just for me, four to six ounces of meat is perfectly uh, my number. Yeah. And then I'll have a cup of whatever veg we're having that day. Um, I've got tomatoes coming at the moment on my my plants in the back. So we have a lot of tomatoes. So on salad and that sort of thing. Yeah. Nice. Keeping it simple. Simple. So, we yeah. can't get keto chow here in the UK. Oh. I'm so sorry. Mm. I, don't know, I don't know what it tastes like. So maybe oh. I'm not missing, but it sounds like I'm missing out. <laughs> well, I, my husband, I was talking, he said, there are a lot of protein powders out there. Why would you do keto chow? I said, well, I could use, you know, a, a, a whey isolate. Sure, I could mm. do that. And, you know, sometimes if I'm running low on keto chow and haven't put in a rest, uh, an order, then I'll do that. I'll just get something that is um, hopefully more casein and less whey. Mm. But, mm. Um, you know, the, the keto chow has all these extra vitamins in them. And they're methylated and chelated. So it it just made me feel so much better when mm -hmm. I was on it. It's like I'm getting all the vitamins that I have a hard time holding on to. 
but there are, but the the protein powders, you know, again, a white isolate is probably better uh, because it lasts. It takes a little longer to digest, so you don't get as hungry. And if it's got more casein in it, that gives you a little better balance there. And you've written a book, I hear. I have. Yes. Um, I my book is what's really eating you, overcoming the triggers of comfort eating. So. If I mean, we've been talking a lot about emotional eating. So if somebody recognized that maybe that's their issue, would that be a good book for them? Yes, because I, it's, it's, not, um, it's not technical in any way. I, I, I just wrote my experience and what I do and what I suggest. There's at the end of every chapter, there's some things to consider so that you can try to kind of figure out what's going on for you. And make it changes to that so that you can be free. Mm. Is it on Amazon, Kindle? Oh, yes. Yes. Great. Right. We'll put, put the link in the show notes for that. Yeah. On, on all the Amazons. I even One was sold in Great. Japan the other day and I thought, wow, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> World domination. That's what we like to hear. So, well, yeah. Yeah, I... I, I I was doing a, a summary for someone the other day and they're like, where are all your clients? And I figured out I have clients on six continents. It was so much well fun. Yeah. yeah. So Antarctica is a little hard to, ca- to break into. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I was going to say, because you do, you do online courses and you do one-to-ones and I'm mm-hmm. guessing the one-to-ones are available on zoom like we're doing now. Yes, or yeah. FaceTime. It just depends on. I'll even do Skype if it if that's what makes them comfortable. Yeah, whatever anybody's used to, I guess. Yeah. Mm. So and we're tell all, us all used. We're all used to Zoom right now. So <laughs> yeah. So tell people how they can get in contact with you, why they might want to get in contact with you, and where they can find you on social media. Okay. Well, my website is packyourownbag.com and on Instagram and Facebook, I'm pack your own bag. Um, they might want to get in contact with me if they want to learn how to overcome emotional eating. If they are, if they have just had it with another diet program and they don't want to sign up for that well-known program yet again, if they're ready to find effective ways to soothe themselves for comfort, stress relief, frustration, that sort of thing. And if they need someone to help them stay accountable, you know, everyone has a different way of staying accountable, but the majority of us need something external to keep us on track. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you, you know, Gretchen Rubin, right? Yeah, I love it. And her, love it. yeah. And her um, four tendencies yep. that set me free. Cause I realized I'm an obliger. I can do anything for you that I want to do, right? Um, But doing it for myself, it's not going to happen. So that's why I now set up everything with that external accountability because it helps me stay on track. And let's just face it, becoming a coach for people who want to lose weight is the best accountability for my weight that I could give myself. Because if I were to gain weight, they wouldn't want to talk to me. But again, that has helped me maintain my goal weight for nine years. Mm. You're speaking my language as, as a fellow obliger, you know, <laughs> that do, whatever you do, do not give me a gift card. Now I understand why the gift cards, like the presents, the birthday presents, the Christmas present, sat in my drawer 
because they were, you know, asking me to make a decision, number one, and mm. to do something for myself. It mm. would be so much better if you gave me the, you know, the spa day already booked and say, Louise, you need to turn up. Of course, I'll be there. No worries. Yeah. <laughs> Don't make me choose, whatever you do. But I, and for me, Gretchen Rubin's work just spoke so much of you know, the, the obliger, the obliger rebellion, the need for accountability, my loophole thinking, yeah. all of those pairing habits that I need. And you're right, it set me free. So mm. today I had a, a meeting with a colleague and we have to write, um, write you know, a, a textbook chapter. And I said, this is how I work. We need to set these dates. You need to give me the date that you need the draft by. We need a timeline, milestones, and because I need to be held accountable to that. Mm-hmm. So, and I know that knowing myself, another Gretchen Rubin thing is, you know, you can work effectively when I have those external accountabilities. But I didn't know that for mm-hmm. so long. I didn't know that. I mean, yeah, that's how, how I can. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And I liked her the habit change stuff, the better than mm. before. And mm. I used uh, making a rule for myself to to get mm. off sugar. And my rule was, I only have sugar on Sundays, mm. and that that worked really well for me. I mean, mm. I was—I'll admit—I was staring down the chocolate chips along about the Wednesday, saying I only have sugar on Sundays, but that mm. gave me a bridge. And mm. if you need a bridge to something, build it. And that was my bridge yeah. because after about. Six, eight weeks, I, I did some work in a behavioral health hospital and I would have my sugar on Sunday afternoon, you know, just one small candy bar or piece of cake or something. And I'd have a cup of tea and then I'd get in the car and mm. go to the hospital. I hit the door and the receptionist was like, Renee, are you okay? And I was flying, right? The sugar had had that much of an effect on me. I thought, oh, I don't need this. So that actually helped me break my addiction to sugar. Interesting you say that because I only will have croissants in France. I will only have a Danish in Belgium. Yeah. And that's the sort of stuff. I mean, that's that's the sort of the same sort of thing as, um, you know, no croissants are worth until you go to France to have a croissant. So that's right. And Dr. Lucy said she never eats in the car. Yeah, that's a good good one. one. That is a great one. I don't take free food at the hospital. Because it's always a bagel or or donut mm. or sweet something in the other. So I just don't take free food. Yeah. And what that does is it keeps you from having to make another decision. And we get decision fatigue. We get willpower drain from having to make those decisions. Mm. Gretchen calls that the free food loophole. And yes. um, I have I, I struggle with that when we have um, when we go away and there's obviously the breakfast buffet. And um, yeah, there's there's loads of croissants and mm-hmm. banana cake. And there's ice cream at a breakfast buffet. You know, apart from the bacon and eggs, and you know, you start down that end. Yeah. But um, yeah, but I've paid for this. This is free. I'm going to have this. Yeah. No. Um, it's a work in it's a work in progress. Hey, you'll get there. You'll get there. You just keep telling yourself the rule, and you'll comply with it. Or you'll say, yes, it's a holiday, so I'll take. I'll have something today. Yeah, but that's a, it's a choice. It and, is a choice. And you're happy with that choice and that you know that tomorrow you're back to it. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's, that's mm. what I've found is the difference 
now since I've been keto to what it ever was before because it was always you were looking for an excuse to have whatever it was and once you'd had it it's ah well I've done that now I'll just carry on but I I don't have that anymore I might carry on for a day I might carry on for two days if I go on holiday I might carry on for a week or two weeks but as soon as I come home that date is in the diary in my head back to it and it's it's not always easy but it's doable Mm. well and of course um we have halloween coming up in the states Mm -hmm. and you know we already had a five or six week food orgy of thanksgiving through new year's right and what helped me was recognizing okay it is a holiday not a hollow week yeah or hollow month Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. on christmas day i'll have what i want on thanksgiving day i'll have what i want and what what I what I found helpful was identifying the foods that really mean something to me about that holiday, mm-hmm. and starting with those. Have that once a year. That's great. And then the next day, back to paying attention and sure. choosing good for your foods. Yeah. But it's interesting because Jackie and I, we you know we're yin and yang, and you know knowing that Jackie can moderate and I'm I'm the abstainer and that's abstainer. I, yeah, I think that that's, that's another thing that you know yourself that so where Jackie's saying she can get back on, but mostly, you know, I, I try and abstain from, from foods only because of the, the triggerness of, of some of those mm. foods. Mm. And I think that was part of the insight is knowing that that's still, I know that I choose for it to have a control, but I reverse control it by saying, well, it's not going to control me, so I'm just not going to have it. It's That's the decision. That's the rule that, you that I've made for myself. Yeah, You've got to do what works for you. Yeah. Well, Renee, we've come to well, just to that precipice. I'm sure that the listeners are now waiting for your three top tips, please. Mm. Um, number one, it's important to start where you are, you know, I took my carbs down slowly. I made changes slowly so that they would be sustainable. If you need a bridge, then build one to where you want to be. Go at your own pace. And then emotional baggage is a thing. If you don't want it to control you, you've got to deal with it. And that can be painful. But once it's done, it's done and you're free. And then... Find what works for your body and do that. You know, not every diet works for everybody. We're all a little bit different. We all, you know, we've talked about different ways we do things. Um, And if you do what works for your body, then you can sustain it forever. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Just on that point, um, has that changed over time? You know, is that the sort of thing that is, you know, evolves over time as well? So finding what works for you is a continuously evolving process. Yes. yes. Okay. I mean, there was, a, there was a point shortly after menopause when, when something shifted and I had to make some adjustments. Right. And for me, it has helped to add more protein to my diet because it's more satisfying. But that doesn't work for everybody. You've got to find what works for your body and do that. Mm. I mean, here's the thing. I wear a seven and a half US, which is about a five, five and a half EU. And I wouldn't ask you to wear my shoe. It's not your size. I wouldn't try to wear a nine. 
because it's not my size. I have to find the thing that works for my foot or even frames on my glasses. We all have different preferences there. And that's okay. Do what works for you. Yeah. I think we've been so accustomed to being told what we all have to do and we all have to eat this and we all have to have this much carbohydrate on our plate and we and it it just doesn't work it's not working we've seen it's not working so and there are called guidelines for a reason yeah it, but it didn't work you're right but it was the same as you know going to Jenny Craig or Weight Watchers or any you know Slimming World those sorts of things there's mm. there seems to be a less and I call it the bio individuality you know that sort of thing that we are all unique and mm -hmm. guidelines meal plans you know the nutritional reference ranges those sorts of things you know doesn't the ranges really even even yes. just yeah ranges even just your taste preferences because mm -hmm. people on keto you know have lots of avocado well i don't like avocado i used to like it and I don't anymore so I can eat mm. it but I have to smother it in something that I don't taste it and feel it so mm. I, get, I, got to, I got to the point where I thought well if I don't like it and it's coming from halfway around the world why am I bothering eating it so I just stopped mm. Mm. yeah not I everybody you know, likes yeah so. not everybody oh, yeah, likes bacon as much as I do I, I think a day without bacon is a day wasted now because I spent so many years not having it but not everybody agrees with me and that's okay it leaves more for me <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that I share I share your your love and passion for bacon so um yes so. and I can take it or leave it I'm good I can take it or leave it I do have bacon mm. we do we've always got bacon in the house but we quite often mm. throw it throw it away mm. as well so what do you like um what are your favorite keto things oh lamb <gasps> yeah lamb chops lamb. with all the fat on it um yeah. i do like my veggies i have tried carnivore and i just miss mm. veggies um olives um mm. what else do i eat? So i tend to have a bit of salad not a lot eggs lots of eggs i can go a day mm. eating eight eight eggs in a day sometimes easily yeah um yeah i just keep it really simple really simple mm. mind i did mm. love it when i was doing carnivore ah oh, that was wonderful of course my grandparents yes i'm from texas my grandparents had a ranch yes um so we had a lot of of beef and turkey and that sort of thing so i i really enjoy carnivore but i thought yeah i miss the crunch of lettuce which was mm. really strange for me yeah yeah when I, when I was doing carnivore, I missed the crunch and I would have a pickle. So like a, mm. you know, like a dill pickle. So mm -hmm. I could get crunch in the fermented foods. But you're right. And I ended up eating like mushroom just to have some other, which wasn't a vegetable, it's a fungus. So, um, yeah, I, I sort of changed the rules that way. But that was, it's really interesting because it's hard here with having so much chicken and pork and I miss lamb being Australian and um, and beef as well. So it's it's not a, a big protein source, but there are many other seed sources and that sort of thing. So yeah, I, yeah, it's it's challenge the challenges that go for us and knowing that it's so connected to our emotions and it's really 
been a real pleasure. Thank you, um, Renee, for really helping us sort and sift and sort our our emotional baggage, luggage, um, have that stowed away in the overhead locker. It does get shaken and stirred sometimes when the turbulence happens. Um, but At it's least good you to know packed it yourself. Can, yeah, pack it ourselves. Yeah. That's right. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much. What a powerful story, Jackie. Very, very powerful. And, you know, all that weight loss on and off and on and off over 40 years, which I admire her for carrying on for 40 years because I gave up way before then. So she kept it going. And, yeah, and then realised that it wasn't about the food. So there's a number of things, you know, with Renee's story that really resonate with me. And obviously, you know, the first thing is the emotions. I get that. I understand that. I have lived that in terms of, you know, using food to, to soothe my emotions. And I I get it. I And I did that. And as a consequence, I was obviously a more morbidly obese woman. And likewise, I tried everything. But yeah, like you said, you know, not for 40 years. So because my period of obesity happened after my marriage um, broke down. So that was obviously quite an intense period. Mm. A um, lot of emotional stuff going on. That's right. So I understand a, about the the fact that my self-esteem was impacted where the that I was using food as a as a comfort and how that impacted now I understand you know about the role that it played in my my hormones and I was obviously you know the serotonins and the dopamines and the reward cycles and eventually getting to the the sugar and the carb addiction sort of aspects of it as well but what really resonated with me is the fact that, you know, her success, but not only just the success of reaching goal, but it's the success that she's been able to maintain. And so often in that diet loss cycle, you know, we, we're successful at losing, but we're not successful at maintaining. maintaining because we haven't haven't got those strategies. And it's very clear that Renee has, has this, you know, has got those strategies yeah. in place. So how is the maintaining working for you now that you've come off the alternate day fasting? Yes. And that again is the second part of what really resonates with um, Renee's story. And it's not a destination. It's still part of the actual balancing act. So that's to quote our good friend Kim Howerton, you know, that it's not, um, it's not the destination that I'm still continually balancing. And what, you know, Renee was saying is that she has a number and in order to, to maintain that, she knows, you know, to she's got a threshold of how much she was eating, but in order when she reaches that point and then she has to go back into weight loss mode with obviously, you know, carb creep or, you know, too many treats and this sort of thing. So it's an opportunity for me to think, well, what is my first thing? What is my number? You know, for me, as you know, the abstainer, she needs hard and fast structured <laughs> rules. So I need to pick a number. Yeah. And then it's basically what then? So I need to then go back to perhaps, um, you know, back to incorporating some other longer fasts. I mean, mostly we do 16-8. 
um, you know, two meals a day, that maybe I need to go longer to 24 or, you know, as we were doing, the alternate day fasting, 40 hours. Yeah. So I think the good thing is, Jackie, I'm very good at fasting. Yeah. I am a 188-day champion. I can do that. Yeah. It's not scary and it's part of my toolkit. Which is and great. I think that's what it's great. And you were saying last week uh, you hated the cooking. You were having to cook every day. <laughs> it takes so much time. You, what is this thing about cooking? Who wants to cook every day? Yeah. So I just mentioned to the this, listeners that while we're we're recording this in November, so you've only just come off. You've only been off your alternate day fasting for a couple of weeks. That's right. So it's um, still a work in progress, and it's still part of that balancing act. And I'm probably still, as you said, you know, I'm still balancing, and already, you know, that there is. It hasn't, the curve hasn't sort of flattened out. There's still lots of variations with the um, the daily weighing. And I've increased a lot more activity as well. So that's the other thing that I've done. Gyms have opened up now. Yeah. So I'm going back to, to the weight training and high intensity along with our Facebook group challenge. Thank you, Jackie, for making me move <laughs> with the 30-day challenge. You know, Jackie puts the post up every day to guilt me into moving yeah um, yeah what an accountability buddy you are yeah how many steps have you done today (laughs) probably not as many as you (laughs) being seven hours ahead of me i loved renee's slogan when you face your stuff you no longer have to stuff your face and that's really about getting into that emotional place of where you are and and what she kept saying was what kind of soothing do you want? And so what are you soothing yourself with food about? And you really have to get into that and, and find alternate ways of soothing yourself. Which is part of the deep work. And part of that deep work is obviously that reflection and, you know, finding the things that drive you to stress, as she says, and to stop and listen to those stories so I think that there's a lot in the deep work and that's part of that emotion and we heard that also from Rob Cyrus, you know, part of it's not just the food, it's the psychology and this is the the fact that we can start connecting, you know, our, the messages from our guests that we are telling ourselves these stories, that we are soothing ourselves, but we need to know those sorts of things, but we need to eat the right things mm. and it's finding out what works for you. Yeah, I know we said we're recording this in november but actually when the listeners come to listen to it it's going to be towards the end of december and i think it was really important to highlight that lots of people start these new year's resolutions on the first of january or the beginning of january usually for me it's when the kids go back to school january which i don't know what i'll do this year because they're not going back to school um but just wanted to point out that renee started her journey as a new year's resolution as well and now nine years on she's still going it's really profound that you know it marks a beginning you know the beginning of something so it you don't have to be fixing on a certain date or a time you can start anytime right so you just don't need to to say i'm going to wait until that it's actually do it now so yeah you've listened to the recording today start tomorrow Mm -hmm. i'll start now Next meal. Next meal.
turn this podcast off at the end, of course, and then start now. So, Jackie, where can we get the show notes for Renee's episode? So the show notes will be at fabulouslytequito.com forward slash podcast forward slash 068. Thanks, Jackie. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash fabulouslyketo and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle fabulouslyketo1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication. <laughs>